So we're continuing looking at the cost of discipleship, and tonight we're thinking about discipleship and the cross. You hear sometimes we expressions uh, about church, and I heard one today I never heard before, but the ABCs, the three essentials of church. Uh, A is attendance, B are buildings, and C, collection. And as long as you have an attendance, as long as you have the buildings, and as long as you have the collection, and all those in good order, many people, that's fine. That's all they want for church, the ABC, attendance, building, collection. And there's no emphasis, or no room even, for the D, discipleship. And for many people, church is somewhere to go to, it's somewhere that's important to them, but they don't see church as a place which is like going to a gym, a place where their spiritual muscles are flexed in order for them to grow and to be able to follow Jesus more closely. And when we think about the cross, as we're thinking about tonight and we'll think about on Sunday, it speaks of why discipleship is not an optional extra for the church or for individuals. Everything should be about discipleship. And as we think of this passage here tonight, the first thing we're going to think about is suffering and rejection. Suffering would be one thing for Jesus to experience. But he highlights here in verse 31 that he would also be rejected. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. Bonhoeffer says there is a distinction here between suffering and rejection. Had he only suffered, Jesus might still have been applauded as the Messiah. But in the Passion, Jesus is a rejected Messiah. Suffering and rejection sum up the whole cross of Jesus. To die on the cross means to die despised and rejected by men. And if you think of that for Jesus, that suffering certainly would have been difficult, but for someone who loved and cared and devoted to people, rejection would have been so much worse. The very notion of a suffering Messiah, Bonhoeffer says, was a scandal to the church even in its earliest days. That's not the kind of Lord at once. And as the church of Christ, it does not like to have the law of suffering imposed upon it by the Lord. Peter's protest displays his own unwillingness to suffer. And that means that Satan has gained entry into the church and is trying to tear it away from the cross of its Lord. And that's what's happening in this passage. The devil is trying to tear the church and Jesus away from the cross. Jesus must therefore make it clear beyond all doubt that the must of suffering applies to his disciples no less than to himself. Just as Christ is Christ only in virtue of his suffering and rejection, so the disciple is a disciple only insofar as he shares in the Lord's suffering and rejection and crucifixion. The law of Christ is the law of the cross. And so Bonhoeffer is teaching us there that in the same way that suffering and rejection and the cross were vital for Jesus to be the Christ, they're also vital for us if we are going to be 
Christians. Now, it's not suffering per se, but suffering and rejection, and not rejection for any cause or conviction of her own, but rejection for the sake of Christ. Jesus says that every Christian has his own cross waiting for him, a cross destined and appointed by God. Now, that is an interesting thought, just to understand that we each have an individual cross. A cross was a, an instrument of death, and if you lived in the days of Jesus and you saw a group of Roman soldiers leading a man out of a village carrying a cross, you knew what that meant. It meant death. And each of us has a personal cross if we're Christians. The Augsburg Confession, which is one of the early German confessions of the Reformation, it similarly defines the church as the community of those who are persecuted and martyred for the gospel's sake. If we refuse to take up our cross and submit to suffering and rejection at the hands of men, we forfeit our fellowship with Christ and have ceased to follow him. But if we lose our lives in this, his service and carry our cross, we shall find our lives again in the fellowship of the cross with Christ. So, suffering and rejection, we have to accept as part of the Christian life. And we recoil naturally against that. None of us want to be, to suffer. None of us want to be rejected. And yet, if we are serious about being disciples, serious about being children of God, we have to accept we have to put our head, as it were, above the parapet. We have to be willing to be shot at the times. We have to be willing to stand for Christ and be unpopular. So, are you willing to suffer and to be rejected for Jesus? You cannot be a Christian and say no to that. But the second thing I want to think about then is the nature of the cross here. And a quote here actually from Martin Luther, he says, discipleship is not limited to what you can comprehend. It must transcend all comprehension. Plunge into the deep waters beyond your own comprehension. Not to know where you're going is the true knowledge. And he's quoting as it were God here, and he says, my comprehension transcends yours. Thus Abraham went forth from his father, not knowing whither he went. He trusted himself to my knowledge and cared not for his own. And thus he took the right road and came to his journey's end. Behold, that is the way of the cross. You cannot find it yourself, so you must let me lead you as though you were a blind man. So Luther is saying the way of the cross, it's... We're going to go into areas, let the Lord lead us, areas which we will not understand, which are beyond what we can work out in our own minds. We have to be like Abraham, be willing to go to somewhere we don't know, be willing to go to situations and places really which are out of our depth. Be like a, a blind man willingly led by the Lord. Now, there's mystery in taking up the cross. Uh, there's the scariness of where discipleship will lead us. But there are certain things we can be very clear about. 
Bonhoeffer says, the first Christ's suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. Only the man who is dead to his own will can follow Christ. In fact, every command of Jesus is a call to die with all our affections and lusts. Here we're getting to the heart of the matter, of what it means to take up the cross. Do you notice the things we have to die to? Our own will, our own plans, our own desires even. We have to, as it were, allow them to die and let them die in our lives and be resurrected. A new will, a new plan, new desires according to God. It's not easy. He says every day he encounters new temptations and every day he must suffer anew for Jesus Christ's sake. The wounds and the scars he receives in the fray are living tokens of this participation in the cross of his Lord. Carrying the cross was never comfortable. Carrying a cross is never easy. Death is not easy. Death is not natural to us. Physical death is not natural to us. And spiritual death is not natural. And this death to self, this death to sin is a real struggle. It's a battle between self and Christ. It's a battle between sin and Christ. It's a battle between the world and Christ. All those battles happening within our hearts and minds. A quote here from Luke 14. And Jesus says, and this is the way he puts it. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now that is a shocking statement by Jesus. If anyone does not hate his father and mother and wife, children, brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. I've got to say, I think Bonhoeffer, better than anyone I've ever heard before, understands that. He says, Christ has delivered them from the immediacy or the close contact with the world and brought them into the immediacy with himself. We cannot follow Christ unless we are prepared to accept and affirm that breach as a fate accompli. It is no arbitrary choice on the disciples' part, but Christ himself who compels us thus to break with his path. So what he is saying is that being a Christian, you have to change from that close contact and fellowship with the world you had before. It has to be replaced with this close contact and fellowship with the Lord. And that has to make it an amazing difference in your life. He says, we must face up to the truth that the call of Christ does set up a barrier between man and his natural life. By virtue of his incarnation, he has come between man and his natural life. There can be no turning back for Christ bars away. By calling us, he has cut us off from all 
the immediacy with the things of the world, he wants to be the center. Through him alone, all things shall come to pass. Now, what he's saying here is this breaking with the world. <coughs> he says it's not a matter of rules. If we think this breaking with the world is just a matter of obeying certain rules, he says, well, I've got it all wrong. He mentions earth to do with the incarnation of Christ. Jesus became a man. Jesus became a man living among us to create a new humanity. And what happens when we become a Christian is Jesus, who became a man, Jesus lives in us. And this breach with the world, this breaking with the world, it's not that we decide we'll keep new rules. This breach of the world comes from who we have become, people with Christ living in us. We've become a new people. And it's the presence of Christ in our lives means our relationship with the world around us, the relationship with people around us is totally different. Let's think of a couple of illustrations to emphasize this. <coughs> think, first of all, of... Princess Diana. You remember the story that the, the shock came on one occasion when she spoke about how there was a third person in their marriage. And so a third person had upset everything. It had upset the balance, it had changed the whole dynamics of their relationship. A third person coming in like an intruder had just changed everything. And so the relationship she had before was not what the relationship was after that. The third person made all the difference. And pardon me using the illustration, but I hope that gets across the point. It's Christ coming into our lives. He is the third person. He is the one who upsets the balance that we had with people with the world before. He is the one, because we have a new relationship with him, changes the whole dynamic. Similar illustrations, flick it on there. Uh, we know the wee verse in Genesis, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and they'll become one flesh. That's a passage I do take a very bit of time talking to couples with at marriage preparation class. And that word there, leave, a man will leave his father and mother. That word leave is a very strong word. It's a word that is used in the Bible to describe how Israel forsook God. Israel broke the relationship with God. That's what the word leaves. And one of the things I emphasize to couples get married is one thing you have to understand is that your relationship with your parents, once you get married, your relationship is broken. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have a relationship with your parents, but it means it's a different relationship. Because before you're married, maybe the bride's closest relationship was with her mother or with her father or maybe a sister and so forth. But once she has got married, the presence of her husband will change the whole dynamic. 
and her closest person now should be her husband. And that's basically what Bonhoeffer says, taking up the cross, thinking about it in relation to the world, it's that forsaking our old relationships all go, are broken. It doesn't mean there is not a relationship we have with people or the things of the world anymore, but it is a different relationship because of the presence of Jesus. And the problem is, if we think we can continue to have the relationship with the world and with people we had before, when it should be in a different footing. He says this about Jesus, and this is a very interesting thing. He says, he is the mediator, not only between God and man, but between man and man, between man and reality, between father and son, husband and wife, the individual and the nation. Sta stands Christ the mediator, whether they're able to recognize him or not. So Jesus stands between the relationship that a man now has with his woman, with his wife, or that a father has with a son or a sister with a sister. We know the idea of mediator, that Jesus as mediator, he's the one who brings us to God the Father. And what he is saying is, the one now who brings us to our father, our earthly father, brings us to our husband, brings us to our sister, or brings us to the things of the world, we now come to those people through Jesus. We come to those people with Jesus in our lives. And that means it's a different standing, we're on a different footing, the relationship has to be different. He says we must of necessity repudiate any direct relationship with the things of the world and that for the sake of Christ. Notice any direct relationship. We must now approach the things we watch on TV through Jesus. We should read the books we read through Jesus. We should make our plans for the future through Jesus. We should have our, the contact with the people we have in work through Jesus. With Jesus in our hearts, in our lives, in our thinking. With Jesus in the equation. He says the breach of all immediate relationships is inescapable. It may take the form of an external breach with family or nation. In that case, we shall be called upon to bear visibly the reproach of Christ. Or it may be a hidden and secret breach. But even then, we must always be ready to come out in the open. So he talks about a, either a visible breach or it'll be a hidden breach. He says, Abraham is an example of both. He had to leave his friends and his father's house because Christ, became, Christ came between him and his own. So you think of Abraham. He was called to leave his father's home. He was called to go to a, a land which he'd never been in before. And in him being called to leave his father's home, Jesus had come in between him and his family. That was an external breach. It was a physical, it was an outward thing, was seen even in distance. And so Abraham had to go and be a stranger 
in a strange land and all the challenges that brings, leaving his own people to go to a different people. And some of us experience that in life and in leaving our home areas or home territories or home people and to go to live among a people who are, are strangers to us. But then he goes on and says this, Later on, he was called by God to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Christ had come between the father of faith and the child of promise. Abraham receives Isaac back, but henceforth he will have his son in quite a new way through the mediator and for the mediator's sake. And so he's saying that when God said, <coughs> to Abraham, you take Isaac and you sacrifice him. You sacrifice him in that altar. Christ had come between Abraham and his son. But because he was faithful, he got his son back. But he got his son back with a very different mindset. He got his son back with a very different outlook because he now was thinking of his son totally as someone who he was willingly giving up to the Lord. And so when it comes, this is very relevant for parents, when it comes to our children, we need to have Jesus between us and our children. It's not us directly to our children. We have our plans, our desires, and our commands for them and so forth. We have to be parents through Jesus. We have to have the plans for our children that Jesus would have. He has to be the sieve that adjusts and changes our plans. We should have the goals, the ambitions for our children through Jesus. We should bring our children up, was the way I put it, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We are doing it through Jesus. So basically, taking up the cross means we die to our old relationships where we ourselves decided how we would interact with people. We die to our old relationship to ambitions, our jobs, the world, where we decided what to do. We die to those things as we are boss. But then we're raised to a new relationship with people, with our jobs, with the world and so forth, with Christ, his ambitions, his desires, his passion at the very center of how we engage with people. We must see all our relationships, whether with people or the world, through Christ. No longer what I want is what does Jesus want? What does Jesus want for my family? What does Jesus want for my job? What does Jesus want in my life? One final point then. We've looked at the, the suffering and rejection. We've looked at the nature of the cross. And then we've looked thirdly at the encouragement of the cross. And there's great encouragement about why we should take up the cross. Bonhoeffer says to endure the cross is not a tragedy. It is the suffering which is the fruit of an exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. When it comes, it is not an accident, but a necessity. 
The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. So what he is saying, this dying to self, dying to our own desires, that's where we begin the life with Jesus. And then that interesting you think of the taking the bread and the wine, which is symbolic of taking up the cross. What do we call that service when we take the bread and the wine? Communion. And so this is a great encouragement. It's as we take up the cross, as we die to self, as we die to sin, that's when we really meet with God. He says, to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is, he leads the way, keep close to him. And so the taking up the cross, the dying to self, the key thing is not to be looking at how hard this is, not to be focused on how difficult this is for me. It's to focus on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the offer and perfecter of your faith. That's the key thing. It's keeping that looking to Jesus. Like Peter walking on the water. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was all right. When he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sing. And so the only way that we can take up the cross, the only way that we can live this life of self-denial and death to our own life is by focusing on Jesus. It's that communion and relationship with him. Lovely quote, he says, Christ transfigures. You know, transfigures that change of Jesus into the brightness. But he says, Christ transfigures for his own the hour of their mortal agony by granting them the unspeakable assurance of his presence. In the hour of the cruelest torture, they bear for his sake they are made partakers in the perfect joy and bliss of fellowship with him. To bear the cross proves to be the only way of triumphing over suffering. And it's as we take up the cross, it's as we die to self, as we suffer for Jesus, as we totally commit ourselves to his will in our lives, no matter what it will cost, no matter what we will suffer, no matter how we will be rejected, it's as we commit our way to Christ. It's then we come to know his presence in such a beautiful way. I think of a man, uh, years ago I remember visiting him. He was going through cancer. And totally wasting away, totally wasting away. And you're going in and seeing him, he was skin and bones. And you just think... He was going through such agony. He just wondered, what do you say? And to be honest, when you didn't know him, you didn't have to worry about what to say. And he said in his agony, he says, I am so thankful for what the Lord has brought me through because of how I have come to know him through this. Now, he was a Christian. He knew the Lord. 
But what he meant was in his suffering, he had come to know Christ in such a deeper and special way. And you know, we are fearful. As I say, death, taking the cross, is not something that's naturally attractive to us. But the promise is that when we do it, when we really do it, it is then that we will know Christ in such a wonderful way. Just a couple of verses from Matthew 26 and Jesus in Gethsemane. It says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And what Bonhoeffer says, I, I think, is quite interesting. He knows. In a sense, his prayer, the prayer of Jesus, is being answered. The cup will be taken away from him. But the cup will be taken away from him after he drinks it to the very final dregs. And what he is saying is that really it's taking up the cup. It's taking up the cross. It is suffering for the Lord. It's going through those difficult days. It's by taking up the, the cross, it will bring us into a place where suffering and agony will be no more. The way to glory, the way to paradise, the way to everlasting life and joy unspeakable is by taking up the cross here on earth, taking up that particular cross that's prepared for us, dying to self, dying to sin, dying to our own ambitions, living for Christ, being disciples, heeding that call, follow me. Follow me no matter what it will cost. Follow me knowing I'll be with you. And as we go through that as disciples, one day that crown of glory will await. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the cross. And yet we must never speak of it in a trivial manner. We realize it was no trivial thing for Jesus. It was a place of terrible suffering and agony and a place of horrendous rejection. And yet, Father, we're called to, to take up the cross. And as we're called to do that, we're, we're called to do it in the shadow of the cross of Christ, knowing that whatever we're asked to endure no matter how much we'll suffer or be rejected, as we seek to follow Christ, it will be nothing compared to what he has endured. And Father, we thank you that in taking up the cross, that then we experience the fellowship that is so sweet and so divine. Father, forgive us where we have failed to take up the cross even this week. Father, forgive us where 
we have let our own will, our own desires, our own ambitions of the, the remnant of that old person to still to rise his head too high. Lord, help us to put to death all that is sinful and self which is wrong. And Lord, help us to take up that cross and to follow Jesus, filling our lives with the beauty, the righteousness, the purity of Christ. That, Father, we would prefer to suffer for Jesus than experience the pleasures of sin without him. Father, help us to really believe that it's by taking up the cross that we'll experience the joy and the sweetness of communion. Forgive us, Father, for how we have lived our lives in a relationship with people, in a relationship with the world around us, in the same way we did before we came to Christ. We've sought to shut Jesus out of our contacts with people. Teach us how to indeed, Father, have relationships and to interact with people as Christ would want us to do, with Christ in our lives, with Christ in our thinking, with Christ in our goals, and to look at the things of the world through the eyes of our Savior. Forgive us for our many failings, but Father, as we hear afresh the call to take up the cross and to follow Jesus, Father, give us that grace we all need. And as we come on the Lord's Day, as we meet around your word and around the table. Oh, gracious God, just may the wonder of Jesus be so real to each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.